Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. (laughs) Same thing happened the last two services. Let's try that one more time. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Much better, much better. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to welcome you, especially if it's your first time here today or you're visiting from out of town. Thank you for being a part of our church today and uh, celebrating this very special day, this Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week, and we're going to talk today specifically about the significance of this day, but more importantly, how it should affect how we live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of this week as we get ready to celebrate the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, coming up this upcoming week. In order to kick things off today, how many of you have ever um, maybe gotten an invitation to a costume party, and when you showed up at said costume party, you were the only one wearing a costume? You ever been there? Maybe just me? But it's really awkward, isn't it, when, when you are, are thinking one thing and maybe an audience or another group of people is thinking something else, when, when expectations are different. A case in point, about four years ago, I had the privilege um, of speaking at a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and while I was there, I got a phone call from a friend, and they said, Terry, could you do us a favor tomorrow morning? And I said, sure, what do you need? And they said, um, there is uh, one of our speakers, one of the individuals who've asked to come in and speak is going to be addressing um, a delegate delegation from Norway, about 50 leaders from Norway, and, um, and so we, we wondered if you would speak to the speaker to help them to understand the context, the culture, because you know the, the Norwegians, you know kind of a little bit more of their culture than he does. He's never been over there. I, I spoke at a conference in Sweden with um, Norway, Finland, Sweden, with groups of individuals from all three countries. Um, and so I do. I do have an appreciation from their culture. And I said, sure. I said, that's not a problem. I said, tell me when, tell me where. And so the good thing is it was at my hotel, and it was going to be in the lobby in one of their ballrooms. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll come meet him. So I, I, I came down the elevator, and I got to the lobby, and the speaker, who I knew, and I, I I, we had traveled together at some points to speak in different places. And, and so I said, hey, how are you? He said, good. And so the next words out of his mouth, I, I knew that there was a problem. Because he looked at me and he said, do you know what we're here to speak about? And I said, well, we are not speaking about anything. You are the speaker. I'm just here to advise you on the Norwegian culture. And he said, oh, oh okay, no problem. I didn't know that. Um, great. So we were about to start talking about it when all of a sudden a friend of mine from Norway who was leading the delegation, she came into the lobby and she said, Terry. And I said, hey. I said, I didn't realize you were going to be a part of the group. And she, and she says, no. And I said, well, where are we? And she said, well, come this way, come this way. So the two of us follow this Norwegian leader, and my thought was we're going to go into a side room, we're going to talk, and and, and I'm going to have an opportunity to kind of just explain things to my friend, and and then he was going to talk to everybody. Well, we enter into the room, and there are 50 Norwegian leaders around tables, and all of a sudden they start clapping for us. And I'm sitting there going, they're not clapping for me because I'm not talking. This This is this guy over here. So then the friend of mine from Norway, she looks at us and she goes, I just want to tell them something. I said, okay. So she turns to them and she starts talking in Norwegian language and, and we don't understand it until she gets to the end. 
and she mentions my friend's name, and she mentions my name. So again, I'm thinking, okay, that's very nice. She's just introducing us, but this is going a little further. So then um, all of a sudden, she turns and looks at both of us, and I kid you not, here's what she said. Which one of you guys are going to go first? Now, I learned a lesson that day. You ever hear the old adage, be quick on the draw? It's a very important lesson because before I could say anything, the friend of mine, who's no longer a friend, I'm just kidding, said, and I quote, and I'm not making this up, Terry will go first. And before I could correct the Norwegian leader, she turns to all the people from Norway, says something in Norwegian, and then says, Terry Scalzetti, and everybody starts clapping. I don't know why I'm there. I don't know what they're there for. They could have been on a food convention for all I do. And I had to walk up in literally in 10 seconds, figure out how to have a 15-minute talk because she grabbed me right before I went up. She goes, you can go about 15 minutes. And I was like, ah, hi, everybody. Now, I don't know what I said. I think some people lost their salvation during that talk. Now, I'm just teasing, just teasing. But the point is, is I've never been more uncomfortable and if you've, if you've never, ever walked through those shoes, it is difficult when you're sitting on one side and there's another group of people with different expectations and there's something lost in transition. Well, to be really honest, that really is the story of Palm Sunday. Because we're going to read today how Jesus Christ, and many of you who have been in church a long time know that Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem, that Jesus has a purpose and a plan and he's heading into Jerusalem for a very distinct purpose. And yet the people that welcomed him in had very, very different expectations. And in fact, dare I say that their expectations are a lot like our expectations even today. So in order to kick this off, we're going to open up the book of Luke. It's the New Testament. Luke is a doctor, and he writes about this event and tells about this event in great detail. And so we're going to pick up the story in verse 28. Let's take a look together. It says, after telling the story, Jesus Christ went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. Let's pause right there. So Jesus and the disciples are walking from the area, from the, area, the road that comes up from Galilee, that comes up from the Jordan River in this area. It's a very arid and desert region. And then it ascends the Mount of Olives. It's a mountain chain. And as you travel the road that they would have been traveling, there would have been hills on both sides. Now, if you're from Colorado, they're hills. If you're from South Carolina, they're mountains. And they would be up on both sides. And as you walk through there, there's a lot of different events throughout biblical history that happen on that main road road. And so as Jesus is walking, the thing that struck me as I read this passage is, is that Jesus was walking ahead of the disciples. Now, if I'm Jesus during that moment, I know this. This is the last time that I'll be traveling this road to head toward Jerusalem. I would also be overwhelmed with knowing what is in my immediate future. Isn't it true that God knows yesterday, today, and he knows the, the future? And so Jesus, being 100% God, knows exactly what's going to happen to him in just the next few days. And so if I'm Jesus, I'm walking ahead of my disciples, and I'm by myself a little bit distance off, and I'm being overwhelmed by what I'm about to walk towards. But then something amazing is about to happen that a lot of us in this room don't realize in the balcony watching online or on the floor. Is did you know this, that Jesus is walking by a moment, and I have to imagine him looking at a side of a cliff area that is on this road, and him remembering back to the moment that he began his ministry where he was tempted by Satan, because that moment happened right along this same roadway. And so I can imagine Jesus walking and feeling the pain of hunger, 
the pain and isolation being alone with Satan and facing immense temptation to be able to sacrifice what he's about to walk into for Satan's promise to give him domain over the earth. And I have to imagine that Jesus is thinking back to those moments and thinking back to all of this is about to connect together. And then I can imagine Jesus as he's walking and he's feeling this, hearing his disciples behind him still not understanding who he is. Could you imagine looking back and looking at the disciples and seeing them sitting there arguing about who's going to be first in heaven, arguing about hey, maybe we're going to go to Jerusalem, maybe we're going to have a lot of attention. You know, it's really great not being looked at just, as just a fisherman. I mean, think about it. The fishermen, that's a lonely life. They're on the waters the whole time and they smell. No one wants to be around you. And now these fishermen are, are like rock stars. And so you can imagine they're sitting there having, hey, you know, did you see that crowd over there? Did you see what we did? Hey, did you remember when I healed someone? Wasn't that amazing? And Jesus is walking ahead going, these are the people that I came for? Really? No, he didn't say that. But I have to imagine that Jesus is going through those moments. But isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus walked ahead of his disciples? And you know, we fly by that word and we fly by the moment, but the truth is, is that no matter what we've faced in our life, we need to know this, that Jesus has already gone through it. Jesus faced the most horrific death in human history because he knew that there'd be moments where we'd be facing pain and suffering and we would turn our attention to Jesus in prayer. And it's really wonderful for me to reach out to my God and to say, Jesus, you know exactly what I'm going through because you've experienced the same. You see, it wouldn't be the same if we looked at Jesus and we're going through immense pain and we're looking at a God and saying, Jesus, you really don't know what I'm going through because you've never experienced pain before, so let me tell you what this pain feels like. And so therefore, Jesus, since I have more experience than you do, here's what I need you to do, Jesus, because again, I'm ahead of you on this. We never have to do that as followers of Jesus. Isn't that why we're called followers? Isn't it great to know on Palm Sunday that I'm a follower of Jesus? that he's always walked ahead of me. If you're a note taker, you need to remember this and write this down. There is not a path that you are walking that Jesus did not walk first. I don't care if you have health issues, I don't care if you have marital issues, I don't care if you have parenting issues, and all in God's room said amen. That no matter what we're going through, Jesus has walked it first. There's not a physical pain that you feel that Jesus didn't feel first. And the one thing that I'm really thankful for today, and I know a lot of you in this room watching online or in the balcony, the last two and, a few, two and a half years have been a first for all of us in this generation. We don't know anybody that has faced what we've faced. We did not have a wiser sage to go to and say, hey, during the last pandemic, how did you guys do this? We didn't have that. And as pastors and as leaders in community, we had to make decisions for the very first time because we didn't know what to do. And if you're a mental health professional in this room, you are inundated with an incredible amount of individuals that just came and needed help. If that's you in this room, you need to remember this. There is not a mental anguish that you struggle with that Jesus hasn't struggled with first. Because when I read my word, I know that he's about to be back on that mountain, and it says that he was overwhelmed. And so Jesus has been there. He's walked that path. And so I celebrate today of being a follower of Jesus. And that word follower is really important to me. And I'm never gonna underestimate that word because Jesus always walks ahead of me. 
We pick up the story because as, as the disciples are about to be on top of the Mount of Olives, which overlook the Kidron Valley, which then go up to Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, here is what happens. Jesus says, go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Jesus did that for a couple of purposes. Number one, Jewish culture understood that if you were an individual that was coming in peace, that as a king, you would ride a colt. In fact, in biblical history, David once rode a colt into a neighboring town. It was to signify that I don't come with war, I come with peace. And so that was one reason. But there was a second reason. It was all to fulfill prophecy. It was to fulfill, it's for Jesus to become the fulfillment of the prophecy of God, that he was the savior of the world. In Zechariah 9.9, it once said this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, Your king is coming to you. He is righteous. Righteousness means he has a right heart with God and a right spirit with God, and that's who Jesus is. He's victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus fulfills that moment. Now, the thing that's fascinating, and for many of you, later on in this year, we're going to be heading to Jerusalem and I will tell you, when I read this passage, I can't help but think in pictures because I have been on the top of the Mount of Olives. I have been near the garden where Jesus was overwhelmed. I have also seen the pathway down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, up to the Temple Mount. And so where Jesus is heading on Palm Sunday, I have seen with my own eyes. And in this next passage, you're going to see as Jesus rides this path, and I'm going to point a couple of things out. Luke 19:36. take a look. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Hosanna. Now we're going to pause right there. Now we love this. And those of us who've been in church, we remember waving palm branches and we all celebrate Jesus. And and many of us through the years of church, we always look at this as, as the people understanding this is the Son of God, He's the savior of the world and we're waving palm branches and we're shouting Hosanna to be able to celebrate that he's the king of kings and lord of lords, right? We've all said that, but that's not what was happening in this moment. You need to understand that in Jerusalem during Holy Week, this is fascinating. Well, I'm a history major, so it's fascinating to me. If you're tired, you can go to sleep. I'll wake you up later. But anyway, lean in, okay? Because here's the truth. During these special weeks, Holy Week, Rome would send far more soldiers than they usually have into the city. And the reason they would do this is, is that the Jewish culture and the Jewish people, they would all get really excited and angry. Imagine if you were trying to celebrate freedom in God, because the Jewish people would celebrate that week their freedom that God delivered them from from Egypt, that all of a sudden they're celebrating in one part of their mouth, we're free while looking at Roman occupiers. And you can understand how the Jewish people will get really angry and upset. We're supposed to be free. God freed us. And they would get angry and they would rise up and it would get loud and it would get emotional and it would get angry. And so Rome realized during these times we need to send a message. We're going to have lots of soldiers and we're going to tell all the people, if you start getting loud, we are going to strip away more of your freedoms. So Rome threatened the Jewish people. And it was known culturally that right now during this week, it is to be quiet in the city. There is to be no shouting. There is to be no loudness 
because for fear that it would rile the people up. So did you notice what happened? The Mount of Olives overlooks the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is beginning to ride on a donkey in peace down the road through the Kidron Valley. And what do the disciples and the followers of Jesus decide to do? Let's start shouting. Let's start waving palm branches. Let's make a lot of noise because Jesus is the king. And you know what we think? We think he's coming because he's going to kick Rome out. That's what the people thought. That's what Palm Sunday was to them. And so we continue on. They started shouting blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. And so here comes Jesus, and they're saying, this is going to be great. He's going to kick Rome out. God's going to deliver, and we're going to have a better life. Well, that created a problem for the Pharisees, right? Because many of the religious leaders, they had partnerships with Roman leadership. And so all of a sudden, people are getting loud. People are getting angry. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they're like, this is not good. There is going to be stripping of freedoms. And so look what happens in the next verse. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, hey, Jesus, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Tell them to knock it off. They're going to get us all in trouble. And then Jesus replies with one of the greatest statements that we read in Scripture, and many of us know it in verse 36. He says this. He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Even the rocks will cry out. Now, here's what I wish. I wish in celebrating Palm Sunday that I wasn't conflicted. But the truth is, is if you understand the culture and you understand the fact that even the disciples didn't really know who Jesus was until he rose from the dead, then you know all the people were conflicted. They just thought that Jesus was going to be a regular earthly king and was going to kick Rome out. You see, the truth is, is that the Jewish people They didn't want the king, they wanted their king. The Jewish people actually didn't want Jesus as the prince of peace. They wanted him riding a war horse and being their king. The Jewish people, they didn't want him riding on a donkey and bringing peace. They wanted him to come and to kick Rome out. And so when we see this, we begin to understand that the Jewish people wanted something far different than the purpose Jesus came for. Isn't it fascinating that the Pharisees lean in on this? This is interesting. Did you know that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders at this time, that they had just opened up the temple as a symbol, that at this time they would always open the temple as a symbolic of we invite the next Messiah to come in. We're leaving the doors open because we want the Messiah to come in. And here comes Jesus Christ in that moment, the true Messiah. And did you know this? At that moment, after Jesus told them even the rocks will cry out, do you know what the religious leaders tried to do? They began to plan his death. In one side of their mouth, we want the Messiah. In the other side of the mouth, we must kill Jesus because he's threatening our livelihood. Now, how many of you are revisionist history individuals? If you've ever read that story, you sat there and you go, these people, oh, man, if I was there, I'd have been waving the palm branches, but I've been waving it for the right reasons because I know he's Jesus, he's the son of God, and I'd have been Hosanna, and I'd have winked at Jesus and said, I know why you're really here. That would have been me. I'd have smacked those Pharisees in their face. I'd have told them, don't you know what you're doing? I'd have given them a one-two. 
By the way, what is a one-two? I haven't figured that one out. If you could look that up for me and let me know, that'd be great. But you know what? Truth is, I sat at my desk this week and I said, no, Terry, you'd have been right there and you'd have been doing the same thing. And you want to know how I know that? Because we do it every day. Some of you are offended by that. Don't tell me how I worship God. I believe he's like, yes, yes, yes. But do you treat him like God? Does everyone in this room in the balcony watching online, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you treat him as if he's God? Or do you treat him like a life coach? If you've ever had a life coach before, do you know what a life coach is for? A life coach comes alongside of you and you tell a life coach your desires, your plan, your dreams. And a life coach is supposed to come alongside of you and to help you to get from point A to point Z. Your plan, your desires, your purpose. And I think many of us in this room, we look at the Son of God and we treat him like a life coach. How many of us have sat there and said, God, I don't know what is going on right now in my family, but you need to show up. God, right now, I don't know what's going on with my husband, but right now I need you to come and you need to speak and this is what you need to do. He needs to figure things out because I'm about done. God, you know what, financially, you know, I followed you, I took this job and it's not working out. So God, I don't know what's going on with you, but you need to show up because I'm starting to lose faith in you. Many of us in this room, we look into the eyes of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and we treat him like our life coach because we want my plan, my desires, my purpose, my relationship, and we look at God and we treat him as if he's our personal life coach. And that's what the Jewish people did on Palm Sunday. That's right, Jesus, come on in. We don't know why you're riding a colt, but we need you to come in and kick Rome out. So thank you that you're the king that we've been waiting for. Come in and kick them out so we can be free. Meanwhile, Jesus came for a greater purpose. And this is why we call the beginning of this week Holy Week. Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. Do you know what the term holy means? Holy means set apart. And God forgive us when we treat God as unholy. God forgive us when we tell holy God what we want to do and that he must do it. And you might say, well, Terry, what, what do we need to do? To make something holy means the Latin word sacer. And the, last, the Latin word sacer comes from a derivative of the word sacrifice. And isn't it amazing that when we all of a sudden realize the sacrifice that Jesus gave us to have eternal life, we begin to understand the true purpose of holy. That when we start sacrificing as individuals for one another, when we sacrifice our pride, when we sacrifice our desires, our wants, and when we consider others sometimes better than ourselves, we begin to understand what it means when we say holy. So some of you in the room might say, Terry, how do we put holy back into Holy Week? Well, I want to give you just a few practical tips. Number one, this week, let's set this week apart. Today is the beginning. Have you begun to think, have you thought about Easter? Have you thought about what you're going to do as a family to be able to reflect on your relationship with God? Or has this week only become a week of rest because it's spring break from work and school? So Terry, how do I do that? Maybe today, maybe this week, you're gonna pray for the first time either in a while or ever. 
And when you pray, remember, and I've said this many times in our church, you don't pray and tell God your life coach what you want. You actually, in fact, many of us need to start our prayers by, God, I'm here, speak. And maybe that helps us to understand the divinity of God. If you're a parent or a grandparent, maybe this week you need to choose a time to read the Easter story. Maybe you need to read it for yourself. And then maybe you need to read it to your grandkids or to your kids. Because it matters. It matters that they know that this week is special. It matters that they know that this is one of the most important weeks, if not the most important week of your life. Maybe this week you need to consider others better than yourselves. Maybe you need to think about who doesn't know who God is or maybe is new to the area or maybe doesn't have a church home. Because remember, the church is not a building. The church are the people of God. And how many people are trying to navigate life And they don't have brothers and sisters to pray with them or for. So maybe you need to invite someone to Easter service. I was sitting in my yard doing some yard work and I got a text from a friend who had a miserable week, who was in conflict with another family all week long and I was trying to advise him through it. And I was so proud of him because I got a text out of the blue and it said, you know, I'm thinking I need to invite this family to go to Easter service. And I said, why do you say that? And they said, you know, the truth is I might be upset but God loves them, and they need God. And I told them, I'm really proud of you. I think that'd be a wise choice. One of the other things I said is, is we as a church learn that fasting is not something we choose. It's something that God desires and commands us to do. And so maybe this week we take a meal or we take a day and we fast so that we can reflect upon our relationship with God. So those are a few options. Here's the second thing. Take Jesus' example. We need to humble ourselves. Humble yourself. And then last but not least, mind who and what you're celebrating. Mind who and what you're celebrating this week. I think Jesus wants us to have fun. I think Jesus wants us to relax. I think Jesus wants us to rest. But Jesus also wants us to always know that he is not a life coach. He is the son of God and he is the savior of the world. And this week we can do it. But I started and I mentioned the fact that isn't it great that Jesus has never gone anywhere, we have never gone anywhere that Jesus hasn't gone first. I shared this story with our church a long time ago that my family took a trip to Las Vegas and we went to a hotel called Circus Circus and they had a big pool and a big diving platform at this pool. And how many of you have an older brother? Anybody here? God bless you, I'll pray for you. Because I remember as a, an eight-year-old, I had a 10-year-old brother, and my dad, we pulled into the, where the motorhomes all park, and all of a sudden we got out, and, and my brother grabbed my hand, and he started pulling me because he wanted to go to the pool and to the platform. And, and he looked at fun. I saw it as death because it's like, I ain't going up that thing. And so I tried to tell my parents. I was like, well, I want to stay. And, but here's the problem. There used to be a time where as long as you were together, you were allowed to kind of travel and investigate and curious kids can go anywhere they want as long as they stuck together. Nowadays, you can't go out of sight of mom and dad, but back then we had a little more freedom. So my brother wanted to go. I didn't want to go. Guess what? The younger brother had to go with. So I went with my brother. We went over to the slide, and, and I was about to tell my brother I am not going on that, and he grabbed my hand. He said, yes, you are, and he dragged me to this slide. 
So we stood at the ladder and all, there's a, a line of people up this tall ladder and everybody's on the ladder and they just wait and then they get up and I didn't want to go on heights and my brother starts climbing and I said, I'm not going. He says, you are going to go or I'm going to give you a pounding. By the way, a pounding in the south is far different than the kind of pounding I got. Just saying. So all of a sudden we're climbing up the ladder and I'm starting to cry because I'm seeing death and destruction. My brother's like, stop being a baby and we get to the top of the platform. So then I start thinking to myself, I'm gonna have to go through this, but at least my brother is ahead of me and I'm following him. And so as my brother got up on the platform, I started to look and I'm only looking two centimeters ahead of me. And so I grabbed the platform and then I don't wanna fall off and die, so I grab it and I'm taking a real long time and I climb up on top of the platform. And as I get up on the platform, I'm expecting to see my brother there to help me up, to give me a hug, tell me it's okay, and to help me off of it. No, I saw the top of his head as he descended because he already ran and jumped off, leaving me there by myself. So then I started crying and then I did what most eight-year-olds at that point do. I took the walk of shame, and I had to tell everybody on that ladder if they would climb back down so that I could come down the ladder and get off the slide. I got down to the bottom. I ran to the motorhome. I ran to my dad. I did not have my brother. He was swimming and having a great time in the pool. And as I got to the motorhome, I had a really sensitive father. He was really, really, he understood my needs, and he looked at the heart. No, I had a marine dad, okay? And the only thing my dad saw at that moment is I was by myself, and what's the rule? You don't leave each other's side. And so my, my dad didn't care what I had to say, didn't care what I was crying about. He just said, where's your brother, and why are you without him? And I said, I, he's the, the platform of death, and left me in this and that. Get, grab my hand. And he started dragging me back toward the, the plank of death. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. He's like, be quiet. By the way, Back there in that time, it's, it's a different when you grow up at that time versus this time. Nowadays, you can have trees in your backyard. Back then, you did not want to grow up with a tree in the backyard, if you know what I mean. Think about that. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> so we get over to the platform of death. And I tried my best to explain to my dad that I was scared and, and my brother jumped off and left me by myself and I didn't think he understood anything and he just looked at me, he said, just go over to that ladder, stop crying. And I was like, stop crying, climb up that ladder. And I'm like, hey, and I'm just, and he's, so I was scared of my dad, he was bigger than me and so he tells me go and so I grab the ladder and I start climbing up and then I look down and my dad's gone. I have been left twice. If you're a mental health professional, I need you, and thank God that I've never traveled the place that Jesus hasn't traveled first. Hey, Jesus once looked, and his dad turned his back on him. You know what I'm saying? So I started climbing the ladder, and I get to the top of the platform, and I'm scared to death. But something was different, because all of a sudden I heard my dad's voice. He said, Terry, look down here. And my dad, without swim trunks on, he kept his clothes on, but he jumped in the pool, and he's standing below the platform, and he said, you can do it, just jump off, I'll catch you. And so I came, looked over the abyss, and I jumped off, and I had a blast. Here's the point. Jesus Christ can identify with any situation or struggle that you have experienced or are experiencing. Jesus came for a purpose. 
He didn't just come to give you a better life. He came to give you eternal life. His purpose and his plan is far better than you could ever imagine. And it's time for us this Holy Week to stop looking at him as our life coach and to start looking at him for the power that he displayed on the cross. If you're not satisfied with where you're at in life, tell him. But rather than telling him how you think your life should be, why don't you say to God, God, I'm here and I'm listening. Your plan, not mine. Your will, not mine. Because this Easter, you gave me eternal life and I can think of nothing better in the universe. And so are you setting Holy Week apart? Do you believe he's the son of God? And will this Palm Sunday be different than any other you've ever imagined? The choice is yours. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this message. Thank you, Father, for your heart. Thank you, God, so much for the fact that I I don't have to be a leader of Jesus. I can be a follower of Jesus. And God, forgive me when I want to assume your power. Forgive me when I, I want to pose as God. Because every time I tell you how my life should be, I am assuming your power. God, forgive me. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that today that we would reflect upon what you've done, that this week we would set it apart, that this week we would recognize and pray and talk to you as holy God and not earthly life coach. And God, we want you to know that we know that you're the son of God. And we know that you came for a purpose. So God, we love you. We bless you. And we give it all in the name of Jesus.